Hi ho, Kermit the Frog here, and welcome to Muppet Vision 3D. Oh my gosh, it, it, it's time for the show. Um, oh, where is everybody? Um, <clears throat> uh, hi there. I'm Kermit the Frog, and we're uh, well, we're we're almost ready. Fonzie, uh, um, Gonzo, Piggy. Oh, not you guys. How did you get here? We entered a contest. Yeah, we lost. Oh, good. Now, where's everybody else? Uh-oh, they're coming on the monorail. But, Fozzie, the monorail doesn't come through here. It does now. Monorail! Okay, introducing... Hello, my friends, and welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangiello, and this is show number 169 for the week of May 9th, 2010. With the recent closing of Jim Henson's Muppet Vision 3D at Disney's Hollywood Studios for an unspecified update, it's a great time to look back at the relationship between Disney and the Muppets, including the story of how the Muppets came to Walt Disney World in a variety of ways. We'll tour the park and explore some of the secrets, stories, and history of Muppet Vision 3D, Muppet-based shows that are no longer here, the Disney-Henson marriage, as well as the Muppets that never were, as Jim Corcus and I wander the studios and discuss some of the proposed concepts that never made it both in and out of the theme parks. It's a fascinating live tour of the Muppets in the present, as well as a look back in time, and possibly even into the future of the Muppets in Walt Disney World. I'll have a few announcements, and then play more of your voicemails at the end of the show, so sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. Well, an orchestra of penguins! Yeah, probably took the job for the hell of it! <laughs> I think the secret behind the Disney magic is the timeless quality of the characters and the stories and even here in the theme park, so many of the attractions. And much like Disney, there is something else from my childhood and I think many others that has always remained timeless and continues to be classic and is loved by new generations time and time again. And those are the Muppets. I grew up on Sesame Street like a lot of people did. And when Muppet Vision came to Disney's Hollywood Studios, that marriage just made sense because they are two companies and franchises that deal in wholesome, fun, family-friendly entertainment 
with those same classic stories and characters. And while we have and enjoy Jim Henson's Muppet Vision 3D here at Disney's Hollywood Studios, there's a lot that we didn't get from the marriage of the Jim Henson Company and the Muppets and Walt Disney World and the Disney Company. And to once again help tell us some of those stories behind the stories is someone who, like the Muppets and like many of the Disney characters, is a timeless character himself. I'm speaking of, of course, none other than everyone's favorite historian, Disney storyteller, author, magician, all-around nice guy, Jim Corcus. Well, waka waka. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lou, it, it, it's always a pleasure to get together uh, with you, especially uh, today since it's uh, uh, such a nice day out here um, at the park. And, and uh, we're out here at uh, Muppet Plaza, uh, the uh, entranceway into um, Muppet Vision uh, uh, 3D. And uh, as you alluded to, this w was uh, actually going to be the keynote anchor uh, attraction for a much larger expansion of this area, which was to be known as uh, uh, Muppet Studios back in uh, 1990. And uh, we can still see some of the uh, uh, remnants because uh, as we are in the plaza, we see that the uh, theming uh, with these uh, bricks, uh, the fact that the uh, bathroom is uh, Broadway uh, uh, plumbing. Uh, this is a, a New York theme to, to theme in with New York Street, which is just on the other side. So, uh, again, this was done purposely so that it would be an easy transition for um, uh, guests uh, to go from one area of the park now into uh, another area of the park. And... Um, even though uh, so much has been uh, written about Muppet Vision uh, uh, 3D, and, and we're going to talk about uh, uh, some little uh, secrets and fun facts about it uh, later, um, it's still such a, a delightful attraction. And, and sitting out here, there is just uh, so much to see. And in fact, we, we just spent uh, uh, some time uh, uh, wandering around and, and seeing some new things. Yeah, and we've both been here and been fans of Muppet Vision, you know, for years. And, and like you said, when we were talking earlier, we knew where to look for things and we're still sort of pointing out little details and fun facts and, and secrets along the way. And it's always interesting to look at the things that never were. And we talk about some of those blue sky concepts and love seeing old concept art from the Magic Kingdom and Epcot. But here at the studios, especially, Jim, you know, Muppet Vision, like everything that was planned for Roger Rabbit, there were so many more plans to bring these characters from these films and the TV shows in and Muppet Vision, even beyond Roger Rabbit, really is a great example of that because, like you said, we weren't just supposed to get the Muppet Vision 3D show. We were supposed to get really what was going to entail a full new land here. Uh, and that, uh, that's true. Actually, in the uh, late 80s, um, the Disney company was, was really looking uh, uh, to expand even, even beyond uh, the Disney properties. Uh, in, in fact, there were negotiations going on with uh, Jay Ward's family. Jay Ward, of course, uh, uh, responsible for uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle, Dudley Do-Right, uh, Super Chicken, uh, all of that. Uh, Buena Vista Home Video was having uh, uh, quite the success releasing uh, the Rocky and Bullwinkle shows on uh, uh, videotape, and so they were looking to actually 
make a, a deal to buy those characters and do merchandising and, and have an area over here at uh, the studios that would have been related to uh, uh, that franchise. But again, uh, negotiations and uh, once you get lawyers involved and, and, and you worry about fiscal responsibility and uh, by the time all of that was going on, uh, Universal stepped in and, and made the uh, Ward uh, family a uh, a better offer, and and off they went. But at the same time, well, let me ask you this: Do you think, you know, hindsight being twenty twenty, do you think that the Rocky and Bullwinkle and some of those franchises would have fit in here, maybe the same way a Roger Rabbit or even Muppets might have? I uh, actually, I I think uh, so. I think uh, over at Universal, people love. Uh, uh, ripsaw falls and and all the little in gags and I think especially during that uh, uh, time period where um, Disney uh, uh, was uh, re-experiencing that creativity both in in their animation and their and their uh, live action films and um, looking for all those uh, expansions which eventually happened over at Euro Disney and all of that that uh, bringing that J. Ward franchise to the uh, Disney Studios might have created uh, uh, some lunacy and some wackiness that Disney characters would not have been able to uh, uh, accomplish. You know, we, we love seeing Donald Duck get his comeuppance, but we never want to see that happen to uh, a Mickey Mouse. But with the uh, Ward characters, uh, yes, it's it's that wild and 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 crazy, uh, not just uh, wordplay, but uh, broad slapstick action. And I just think it's interesting because with the relatively recent acquisition of the Marvel franchise and the Marvel characters, that is not obviously something that's new to Disney. Going out and finding other successful franchises, bringing them into the Disney fold and, and incorporating them, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Marvel into the Disney franchise and eventually the Disney theme parks. Yes, but but the trick is is then finding a way of incorporating that franchise and, and leveraging it. Uh, we were talking a little uh, earlier this uh, afternoon about the fact that now that the Disney has acquired the Muppets, you know, what are they doing to, you know, uh, make full use of that uh, franchise? And so I'm also going to be very curious as to how Disney... Uh, uh, starts to uh, exploit the uh, Marvel uh, franchise, which obviously was brought in so that it would appeal to a demographic that Disney was having uh, some challenges reaching, you know, uh, uh, young boys. But, um, you know, we're, we're going to be talking today about uh, some things that uh, could have happened in uh, 1990 with Disney and the Muppets. Uh, regretfully, I don't think uh, some of those same projects could be revived today, even though Disney owns the Muffets, because I think it's a, a much uh, a different company. I, I think uh, there's more of a, um, a vision of uh, fiscal responsibility rather than uh, uh, risk-taking. And uh, yes, we'll, we'll spend the money if we know we're going to get the result. Well, it was interesting and exciting to see last year at the D23 Expo, we started to get a small glimpse of what we were hoping was going to be a, a reintroduction of the Muppets. Uh, there was Kermit on stage, and they were introducing some things, and then out comes the Mark Twain Riverboat, and Kermit and some of the other Disney characters are out there, and the crowd lost their minds, and then we're seeing trickles of some of these viral videos coming out online. So we're starting to say, well, wait a minute, is this maybe that 
that slow and subtle reintroduction is 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 Disney maybe trying to gauge our reaction to what is going on? Because I think the reaction for many people is, yeah, we want more. And if and if the millions of hits that these videos are getting online are any indication, um, maybe they're they're getting the response they're looking for. Well, and and one of the uh, reasons we got together today was was to take a a, a look back at what could have been. And uh, maybe that will uh, springboard some ideas for what could happen uh, today. Um, In the late 80s there, uh, Michael Eisner and Jim Henson uh, got together, and uh, Jim Henson was making uh, arrangements where he was going to uh, sell the entire Muppet franchise uh, uh, to Disney. And uh, he was looking forward to doing that for a couple of reasons. First off, he, he had gotten very tired of the... Uh, business side. Um, in fact, he, he kept complaining that it was pulling him away from uh, being creative and, and actually playing with the with the puppets because now you have to worry about payrolls, you have to worry about, you know, this, you have to worry about that, and, and uh, that can, uh, you know, um, get overwhelming, especially when you started out as a, as a mom-and-pop uh, uh, business. In, in addition, um, uh, uh, the Muppets had uh, uh, a multi-million-dollar uh, debt, which is not un- unusual. You know, uh, you would expect that uh, for most companies. But uh, again, uh, selling to Disney would have wiped out that debt, g- gave a, um, a little bit extra, and uh, also by uh, eighty-eight, eighty-nine, ninety, uh, the Muppets, even though they were well known, even though they were well loved, they weren't as hot as they had been when uh, the Muppet Show was on. Uh, 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 TV and the first Muppet movie had, had come out and all that. And so uh, Henson, I think, was also hoping that by selling to Disney, it would give it a, um, uh, a much wider audience and that, and that Disney would uh, uh, generate, uh, you know, some more, more excitement for that uh, franchise. Um, interestingly enough, uh, the, the contract, there were, there were some challenges uh, first off, uh, Disney realized that um, the real value was not just the characters themselves, uh, but Jim Henson. And so uh, they had to negotiate back and forth and finally settled on the fact that uh, uh, if this went through, that uh, Disney would then have uh, exclusive rights to uh, Jim Henson and his creativity for uh, uh, 10 years. So Jim generating new projects and, and all of that that... Not, that weren't necessarily Muppet-related. Uh, but the biggest challenge uh, for the lawyers was trying to define what is a Muppet. Because you have to do that in the contract. Since the Muppets are being sold, what is a Muppet? So that if somebody comes up with, with, a, with a puppet like that, uh, Disney can step in and say, well, wait a minute, no, that's a Muppet. See by this definition, so you can't uh, can't do that or uh, uh, whatever. You know, even when Avenue Q um, was on Broadway and was so popular, they literally had to have uh, disclaimers saying these are not Muppets. So uh, that was uh, one of the things that slowed down the signing of the contract because Jim Henson did intend to sign that contract and. It, it was all just that uh, legal wrangling that prevented that uh, from happening. Yeah, and unfortunately, that that delay in getting this contract signed is what led to a lot of these projects not happening. A lot of what became a very bitter, heated battle between the Henson estate 
and the Disney company when Jim Henson finally passes. Oh, absolutely. Um, in, in fact, uh, the whole Muppet Studios area in the, in the back here would have been, been up and running by um, 1993 uh, uh, easily. And um, uh, Eisner was looking uh, forward to introducing the, the Muppet characters and literally having them run loose in, in the Disney parks. One, one of the plans was uh, 1990, uh, and again, Jim Henson passed away in May 1990. Um, uh, one of the plans was uh, this was going to be the start of the celebration of uh, um, Disneyland's uh, 35th birthday. And so uh, the concept was going to be there would be that big kickoff of the celebration, and then um, Mickey Mouse would just literally say, oh, my gosh, uh, the, the gang and I, we're, we're just so tired, we're so overwhelmed by this. And so Kermit and his friends uh, said, well, we're, we're so happy to be part of the Disney family now that, uh, that you know, if you need to take a vacation, we'll step in and, and take over. And so in Disneyland, Mickey and uh, the Fab Five uh, would disappear from uh, Memorial Day weekend to Labor Day weekend, and the Muppets would come into Disneyland to take over. And so uh, you'd, you'd still have Snow White and Captain Hook and all the others walking around, but Mickey, Minnie, Pluto, uh, Goofy, Donald, they, they'd be gone. And the Muppets would have taken over, and so they would have done the meet and greets and, and all of that. Uh, there were plans to paint the Matterhorn green, and at night uh, have a, a, a white image of, of uh, Kermit projected on, on the Matterhorn and all of that. And, of course, so there'd be a big uh, uh, party and a big event when uh, Mickey and all went on vacation, and then another one when they came back, and you'd still have the 35th uh, uh, to celebrate. And, in fact, there were even plans to have um, Muppet 3D uh, open at Disneyland in 1990. And the funny thing about that, and it would have been very interesting looking back to see, had the Fab Five... Dis I think that's something that only would have been able to have taken place at Disneyland because of the different dynamic of the two parks and the crowds. Because if that family that's been saving for three years came to Walt Disney World in July and was told... Sorry, Mickey, you can't go see any of the Fab Five, but Gonzo is right is available right around the corner. I think you'd have some very unhappy guests, although I think in Disneyland, that might actually have been a fun, workable gimmick. And uh, I, I think Disney left itself an out where, um, since they wouldn't announce officially where, where the gang was taking their vacation, it could have been in Burbank, so they could have come back at any time, or, oh, wait, we forgot this, we, we're, we're coming back just for this weekend. Uh, to, you know, uh, uh, do all of that. But, uh, no, in, in 1990, um, and, and then it took another uh, a decade or more for Muppet Vision 3D to get there, but there were plans um, for great moments uh, with Mr. Lincoln to be removed and Muppet Vision 3D um, uh, to be uh, put in. But um, at a... Uh, uh, National Fantasy Fan Club uh, convention, uh, and an Imagineer let the cat out of the, the bag, and sure enough, the next Monday, the headline in the newspapers was, uh, uh, Kermit assassinates Abraham Lincoln. And so all of these people who had uh, never been to great moments in Mr. Lincoln in years, suddenly there was this big, how, how dare you take out this, this you know, 
um, uh, traditional, you know, fabled uh, thing and, and replace it with, with something as uh, trivial as, as, as the Muppets. And, of course, Disney hadn't, uh, had only talked about this. They hadn't announced anything. They hadn't made any formal plans. So there's no possible way they can come out and deny, you know, because we never said we were going to do this in the first place. Uh, but uh, that delayed uh, the coming of the uh, Muppets out there to uh, uh, Disneyland. Uh, in, and, of course, with the death of uh, Jim Henson in uh, May of 1990, and by December of 1990, negotiations had fallen apart because um, uh, the Disney Company philosophy was one of the greatest assets in the deal was the uh, uh, access to the creativity of Jim Henson personally for 10 years. Now that that was no longer going to be part of the deal maybe that deal needed to be renegotiated. And, uh, of course, the Henson family um, uh, did not respond uh, positively to that. And so by December 1990, uh, negotiations fell apart. So we almost didn't have Muppet Vision 3D out here in Florida. Yeah, but what, what did happen, though, and timing being everything, and I think this obviously led to an additional wrench in the negotiations is nine days after Jim Henson dies, May 25th, 1990, uh, Here Come the Muppets opens, uh, where Voyage of the Little Mermaid now sits. And clearly the Henson family, and I think maybe even some people on this side, were questioning whether that was the right thing to do. You know, was it too soon? Was it disrespectful? Uh, certainly his family felt that way and, and obviously didn't help things going forward. But Disney you know, had already previewed that it was going to coming, and, and how do you not go ahead and open that to people that may have been anticipating it? Uh, exactly. There had been uh, massive publicity had, that had come out, and um, there had been a great deal of money uh, invested. As you remember, in, in the stage show, uh, the Disney monorail actually crashes through the side <laughs> of the, the building for, for, for that uh, uh, to come in. And, and again, this was a project that Jim Henson had uh, worked on uh, personally. And when Walt died, they still kept Disneyland open that day. And so uh, uh, it, was, it was the same time period. And it's like, well, is it more disrespectful not to run it, you know, with, with all of this that had uh, uh, been put, put in place? And so in hindsight, you can, you can make some decisions at, at the time. Because at the time, too, uh, Disney felt that since the contract was just days away from being signed, it was just a formality that uh, that was going to be uh, signed off and Disney would have um, uh, the rights to these. Jim Henson only saw one, except in, in rehearsals and, and early production stages, only saw one... Um, live interaction of his uh, Muppet characters with guests uh, at the uh, Disney's um, the, the Disney MGM Studios at the time and that was in um, back in the days before there was a Sunset Boulevard there was uh, a theater of the stars and they had a show uh, called Hollywood's Pretty Women which with all of these beautiful uh, 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 Disney dancers up there and uh, towards the end of the show Kermit actually comes out and does a number with uh, the Disney dancers. Well, from the side uh, uh, where the audience is, uh, the doors open up and a pink Cadillac comes out with Miss Piggy riding in that. 
And of course, she is tremendously upset that uh, Kermit is up there doing that. So she gets out of the Cadillac, goes up on the stage, does a, a production number, which is the final number. And then Kermit and Miss Piggy get back into the Cadillac and uh, then uh, drive off and, and the show is over. And uh, that was chosen uh, purposely, first off, because it was inexpensive and, and easy to mount quickly. But to establish the theme that the Muppets uh, would be running loose uh, at uh, uh, Disney MGM Studios. They might pop up in a show. They might pop up in a ride. Uh, they might pop up around the corner. And so that anarchy that you were used to uh, seeing in the TV show and, and in the films, yes, this was going to happen live action. Um, yeah, here, here come the Muppets. And, and here come the Muppets was just the... Uh, uh, tip of the iceberg in terms of uh, shows. There was the the show uh, Muppets on uh, Location, Days of uh, Swine and Roses, and um, what was going to happen over by uh, the front of the park, uh, where Oscar's service station is. You know, the uh, and the parade usually exits on the opposite side. There, uh, the again the doors would swing open and out would come a uh, full sized uh, Gonzo in a director's chair and there would be a camera crane and there would be this uh, uh, two-story um, uh, float. The, the bottom half would have uh, Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem and up, up top were uh, uh, Miss Piggy and Kermit, you know, running lines and all this. And this would go down Hollywood Boulevard and then would stop in front of the Chinese theater where it would stage and they would go through, um, you know, the, the rehearsal or the performance for... Uh, days of uh, Swine and Roses, and, and that would happen two or three times a day. And there were also plans for the Magnificent Muppet Motorcade, which was going to be a huge uh, parade uh, down Hollywood Boulevard. Not the, not the typical, uh, well, let's just stick a couple of characters in a car and bring them down. This, this was going to be a, a theatrical uh, uh, event. And th those, along with Here Come the Muppets, uh, again, just the tip of the iceberg uh, compared to uh, Muppet Studios that we're going to talk about here shortly. And that's the thing, you know, although this contract wasn't signed, I mean, the plane was in flight, man. I mean, things were going on. These were not simply just concepts. I mean, the yeah. detail that you were rattling off, there was concept art. There were plans. I mean, these things were, were going to happen. And you're right, beyond just having a parade like the Hercules Parade or the Milan Parade, they were going to be a, a, an integral part of the studios beyond being walk-around characters, which, of course, fits in here because it's a working studio. It would be normal for you to be on a studio in California and see characters from one soundstage walking to the commissary or whatever it might be. So no problem with the integrity there that you would have maybe in, in the Magic Kingdom. But we were going to get this Muppet Land. And I specifically remember being on the Backlot Tram Tour and the, the big, huge red doors that lift up on the side were giant billboards for this this muppetization that was coming according to the signs very very soon and and in fact it was all in place and again disney had every expectation this was going to get signed because the it, jim henson gave every intention he was going to sign this because he was already working on other uh, uh, projects just recently i saw the two episodes of uh, the little mermaid island show 
This was a, a TV show that was going to be done for Disney Playhouse. You had a live-action uh, performer uh, playing Ariel, and the rest were Jim Henson Muppets. So uh, Sebastian is a, is a Muppet, and uh, Flounder is a, a, a Muppet, and he has, he has a little sister named Sandy who looks exactly like him, except she's uh, pink and yellow instead of blue and yellow. And... Um, the whole concept is in the middle of this sea is the Little Mermaid Island. There's going to be several original songs each episode, and uh, she's uh, still in her little you know uh, cave of treasures un- underneath the sea. But there was waterway access into the center of the island, so you could go into the island and and uh, the whole bit. And again, it, it was done for that demographic that would see uh, Welcome to Pooh Corners and and things like that. But you know, he's already involved with it. There's already two episodes that are completed, you know, before his death. And um, it was even announced in the uh, newspapers that it would uh, premiere on the Disney Channel in the fall. So, um, yeah, there was every intent that, my gosh, this this w- was uh, uh, going to happen. So, again, going back to 1989, 1990. Now, this remember, this is before... Um, the concept of uh, Toontown takes place, and there, w- there was even discussion of uh, introducing the Muppets into uh, Disneyland's version of Toontown uh, up there. So uh, it was a, a similar concept. Let's get a place where um, the Muppet characters uh, live and, uh, and work. And uh, as I said, the anchor attraction was going to be uh, Muppet Vision uh, 3D. And, and right now, right around to the left-hand side, and we're seeing all of these people just walking by without noticing it. If you take a look over, there's a, a blue door. And that blue door is uh, Rizzo Rat's prop department. And that door literally leads into uh, that um, uh, prop room that you have as the pre-show for the show. And there's a purple stairway that goes up, and it says, Editing and Catering, Swedish Chef, from Quick Cuts to Cold Cuts. And that is really about approximately the area where you would go in uh, where the projector is. And so the Swedish Chef is up there as well. And yet we have people just walking right by. They're not even taking a look at the uh, piping where where faces have been uh, uh, painted on. We discovered some of that actually behind the attraction, didn't we? Yeah, we um, unfortunately had to go into it. It's, it's still an, a guest area, but it's not used anymore because when the look when the studios first opened and when Muppet Vision first opened, there wasn't a lot here. So the lines were Muppet, for Muppet Vision were enormously long. And there was no fast pass. There wasn't a, so. There's a queue, an extended outdoor queue on the right hand side of the entrance if you're facing the Muppet Vision building, which is incredibly well themed, not just with the Muppetization of faucets and fixtures and air ducts and pipes and lights, but there are numerous uh, coming attraction posters that have been Muppetized for old films like The Poseidon Adventure and Star Wars, Die Hard 2, maybe not quite as timely or as, or as good, but even, and it's funny, Jim, they were, they've recently been updated too. Mm-hmm. There's ones for Wild Hogs, there is one, there's a great one, there's Beaky for Wally, <laughs> uh, one of my favorites, obviously High School Musical, Hannah Montana. But so, so very well done. There are the posters that instruct you on how to use your 3D glasses uh, that 
guests unfortunately now don't get a chance to see, but we were even lamenting to a certain degree as we were walking into the queue, because we wanted to see Muppet Vision again for the 10,000th time, walking by the key under the mat and the security office and the signs and the billboards and the doorways and even all the incredible props uh, that are in that holding area, the pre-show, which really qualifies as a show in and of itself because of how very well done uh, the pre-show film is. And, and I was talking about how very much this is a, a, an American attraction, uh, that it really wouldn't fit as well in uh, Tokyo or, or in Paris because uh, so much in terms of wordplay, you know, artificial reality, this is not a door, <laughs> you know, um, and, and, and those wonderful signs that you were pointing out. And, and in fact, uh, you know, I discovered new things today, too, on, on those signs in the queue line, the uh, uh, how to draw a beaker in, in, in eight steps. But, but it's so small. It's just part of a, a larger sign that, that covers so many other, other things. So the word play and, and uh, all of that. The, and then if you look up above, you see all the pipes are, are, are decorated with, with eyes and teeth and, and, and faces and all that, just exactly as they would... Uh, uh, create uh, a Muppet. You would, you, would t- you would take an object and then, you know, uh, what can you do to uh, anthropomorphize this uh, into that? And uh, so many little touches, even on the, the brick wall on, on the outside here. You know, you have those urns of plants, and if you follow down and you take a look, here's an urn and here's another urn, here's, and then suddenly there's an urn and there's a uh, uh, ice cream sundae in it. You know, and so, so you get that laugh, you get that smile, and then you walk a little further down, you're seeing an urn with plants and urn with plants, and then you see another urn and you see a whole sundae that's melted. You know, and um, again, I, I think unfortunately Disney has uh, trained its guests uh, with Fast Pass and all of this to, you know, let's rush on to the ride. We're not getting our value unless we go on to Rock and Roller Coaster or Tower of Terror, and not just once, but, you know, as, as many times as possible. And we're missing some of the, this wonderful a- attention to detail, this storytelling. Uh, these things that w- will, uh, you know, literally uh, make you uh, smile and uh, I think literally heal your heart, you know, because uh, it's so gentle, it's so fun, and, it, and it's that sense of discovery. And one of the things that I particularly love about Muppet uh, Vision 3D and, and, and all of these little things is uh, you don't have to have all the trivia books and don't have to visit all the websites and don't have to you know, get all the homemade DVDs to, to find these. You can discover these things on your own. You don't have to literally go, oh, yes, underneath the uh, third tulip, the <laughs> second screw down to the left, that's where the name of the Imagineer is. Okay. Uh, no, there, there's so much out here, you know, for you to discover and enjoy. And, and as you pointed out, there are things that, that have changed, uh, and, like those posters. And Yet, I wonder how many people realize that. And I, again, I hope this is being documented somewhere. Somebody's taking pictures. And, and just, you know, let me go on record and say, there is some value in some of those trivia books that you alluded to. <laughs> that being said, well, I agree your, with you. Your books, your books, <laughs> Lou, of course. I agree with you 100%. Um, and this is a separate conversation. We, we yeah. preach it all the time about slowing down and taking the time. I mean, look at the people. They walk by the fountain out front and say, oh, it's cute. But don't stop and, and look to see all the little details and the sight gags in there. Miss Piggy with her Statue of Liberty sash and, and Gonzo stepping on the, 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 the <laughs> Mickey, Mickey which, you know, is somewhat squashed and stretched, you know, not normally as, as you see him. 
certainly in the queue, and we talked about this before, you know, sometimes the uh, fast pass is a blessing and a curse because I, I allude to things like Expedition Everest. The standby queue is so incredibly well-themed that I would encourage people not to take the fast pass every time. Take your time and walk through the queue because of the details that are in there. And again, I don't need to point them out for you. You should stop and look around. And uh, some time ago on the show, I had uh, Jim Lewis and Craig Shaman, who worked with Jim Henson, who worked on creating Muppet Vision 3D. And they said something that, that's very true, is that when you look around here and some of the things that you talked about, like the, um, like the Sunday planters, this is not like Disney took Muppet characters and stuck them into a building. This is very much as if you were visiting the set of The Muppet Show. Very it, organic. It, very organic. And so you can only imagine, had this plaza extended to other buildings and other attractions and some of the other things that, and really one of the other big ones that a lot of people were very, very excited about that um, was somewhat of a parody of an existing attraction here, uh, you know, this Muppet land really could have been something special. Very true. And, uh, you know, even on the fountain there, um, I was talking with one of the Imagineers, and there was a loop of different things that Gonzo was going to be shouting out from the fountain, and, and we, we never got. But, you know, this show is supposed to be about Muppet Studios, and we haven't really <laughs> even gotten around uh, to that. So uh, why don't we take a, a walk down into the heart of what Muppet Studios is, and uh, uh, we'll share with some of the, the listeners the uh, Muppet Studios they never got. So as we leave the central plaza of, in front of Muppet Vision, you head down the stairs. On the left-hand side, you have what is now Pizza Planet inside the Metropolitan Department of Water and Power Building. And if you continue down what is essentially a street, and you can tell it's a street by the storefronts and the doorways, the no parking and the speed limit, five-mile-an-hour sign, you really are standing where you are going to be in part of the heart of this, of this Muppet land and you can actually catch a few subtle details that still remain here and there because if you remember everything you see has a story associated with it or a meaning behind it and it holds true because the first building that you see is engine company number one above the two giant sort of uh, fire station doors you can even see the fire department hose hanging from the uh, exposed balcony outside if you pay very close attention to the end of Muppet Vision 3D when the fire truck backs into the building, I don't want to spoil it for you, but you'll see that it is, in fact, engine company number one. So it would have come from this location. Next door is the It's a Wonderful Shop above the Parkside Antique sign and Mama Melrose's. But this gym is very different from what they were originally supposed to be. Uh, a absolutely, uh, Lou. In fact, uh, one of the shops here was going to be uh, uh, Lou Zealand's uh, Fish Market. And Lou Zealand, of course, was known uh, for his famous uh, boomerang fish. So uh, up above, uh, you would hear him practicing uh, with the fish and, and doing his act. But down below in the window, since it was a fish market, you would have uh, fish in the, in the window, some of them like in a, uh, a block of ice. And as you walked by, they would um, come to life and start to flap around and talk to you. Talk about, talk about you know, we talk now about uh, Disney on this whole uh, uh, interactive um, uh, thing that they, they, want, they want to do. This was the whole plan for Muppet uh, Studios over here, was it was going to be constantly interactive uh, uh, for the uh, guests. In fact, one of the uh, 
clear uh, indications of that was we talked about uh, Mama Melrose's, which I love and I know you do as well. I do, but when you hear what was going to be here, I think this may qualify as one of the biggest losses that we didn't get. Right. It was going to be uh, Great Gonzo's uh, Pandemonium Pizza Parlor. What happened is the Great Gonzo uh, partnered with uh, Rizzo the Rat, and they decided that they were going to open a uh, celebrity uh, Italian uh, uh, restaurant there. And so... uh, uh, what happens is they have also hired the Swedish chef uh, to work in the kitchen. So anyway, the, the restaurant itself would be very much uh, in the style of like a Planet Hollywood. So you would have uh, posters from the films, you would have uh, props from the TV shows and the movies, and uh, you would also have some of those uh, similar fake props that we saw in uh, Muppet Vision uh, uh, 3D, you know, something that would make people smile and and uh, go through that. Now, also in there would be lots of TV monitors because at uh, Planet Hollywood, they're constantly running, you know, uh, film clips and all that. Uh, what would be happening is they would be running clips of, uh, from the uh, TV show and, and from the films, but every now and then it, it would stop and they would cut in to give you a, a progress report of how your meal uh, was going in the kitchen. And so even though Gonzo or Rizzo were, were desperately trying to convince you that everything was all right, if you looked past them, you saw in the background uh, that uh, lobster bandits had crawled out of the pots and were holding uh, the uh, uh, cooking staff, you know, for hostage. That uh, the Pizza dough, this massive thing of pizza dough, was attacking the, the Swedish chef. So constantly things were going wrong. At, at, at one point, uh, Gonzo and um, uh, Carmilla, the chicken, would be sucked up uh, in an exhaust fan. Now, overhead, uh, where you're sitting, there are the air conditioning ducts, and suddenly you hear them up above you, trying to find each other, going uh, back and forth through there. And the thing that is most uh, amazing, uh, of course, uh, is uh, that there would be a whole um, a train, uh, a toy train set up around all of the tables, uh, so that Rizzo's uh, relatives would be driving this train to bring out your meal to you, to your table. Now, how they were going to go work through all of that, obviously they would have to have a live-serving staff in there as well to help out, but, um, you know, it just, it just amazing, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. All of that was in place, and, and in fact, the restaurant was already being prepared, so it, it was a quick fix to then change it over to Mama Melrose's... Uh, Restaurante Italiana and come up with a whole nother uh, storyline where Mama Melrose was uh, it was like a Sophia Loren and came over as a as a young kid and had and uh, uh, fed uh, a lot of the Hollywood studio uh, um, Hollywood studios and so that's where she got the nickname Melrose because Melrose so it gets all convoluted but let's get back to uh, Muppet Studios because um, right around the uh, uh, corner. Uh, from Mama Melrose, of course, is uh, a merchandise shop, which, of course, is very important to uh, uh, Disney guests. This is the uh, uh, Stage 1 company store. But what was amazing about this is that it was designed um, after uh, the Happiness Hotel in the movie The uh, uh, Great uh, Muppet Movie Caper. Um, And so uh, if you come through the uh, door that is uh, right towards the end of Mama Melrose, you will notice that the sales counter is actually done up 
as the check-in desk uh, from that film, you know. And along the side, you'll have have keys for the rooms, and you'll you'll have uh, little signs: "Please steal uh, linen. It's cheaper than uh, uh, having it cleaned." Uh, and uh, all the the little boxes, and 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 up above, you have the laundry, including Mickey's shorts uh, that are hanging. And uh, something that uh, we came across uh, uh, earlier, Lou, are uh, these over here. These are the, uh, it says it's a bus station, and these are the lockers. If you remember the film, uh, The Muppets Take Manhattan, this is where they lived. And you can see all the lockers decorated, you know, like the uh, Genesis, like the, the musicians and the, the playing cards. Lots of great little details uh, on both sides of this little foyer entranceway here. And again, we've watched so many guests walk right through. And uh, again, you'll see, you'll see, the, you'll see that it, this is actually the facade for... Uh, happiness hotel because again because this is the studios so up above overhanging you have the uh, uh, theatrical uh, stage lights and 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 the rigging and uh, the back there and then the other part of the store when this originally opened uh, was um, supposed to be for the uh, Muppet Babies uh, nursery and so there's still some elements of that uh, that uh, uh, exist there Um, and, and again, you're seeing uh, uh, props uh, hanging up uh, uh, along the, on the walls there as well to be pulled down to be used uh, in the set, including uh, uh, the, the rainbow for uh, the uh, first uh, uh, Muppet uh, movie there. And on the outside, it's not completely painted because, again, this is a, a working studio, so it's in the process of, of being done. Well, and to that point, even if you, I always say to look up and look down, mm-hmm. if you look above the, the counter here, the check-in counter, you'll see all the different doorways to the rooms for the Happiness Hotel. If you, yeah. look, if you look down to the floor, you'll see that the flooring is different. They only had to decorate the floor in this sort of faux marble look for what they would have been shooting straight ahead so the rest of the flooring doesn't carry over that, uh, that mustard, maroon, and, and teal. On the opposite side, you see that it is, in fact, just a facade. And it says, Hotel Lobby Set, production for whom the bell hops. So it's just, I mean, brilliant. And those are all, I mean, there's, there's tons of those scattered throughout. And, and I think we'd be doing people a disservice if we tried to just go by and read them all, mm-hmm. as opposed to inviting you to come in here and to explore yourself. And even if you go to the counter, they even have a scavenger hunt that they'll give you for some things that you can find that you can fill out and get a little prize if you get them all right. And even listen to the background noise. As, as long as we're going to be here, the, the songs that we're hearing are songs from the Muppet movies. As we look up at the no accordion sign, which is, <laughs> you know, it's a total throwaway, but, but it's great. And there you go. Uh, bus station set, production, bus station zebra. Yeah. So, so again, wonder, wonderful little touches, but again, ones that, that people uh, miss uh, completely, but I'm, I'm glad they're they're selling a plush uh, bean bunny because uh, that's that's going to come into the story a little uh, later here. And and Lou is is laughing off Mike because he knows where we're going to head with that. But we're actually going to head immediately to the next big major attraction that was going to be at this location. And look, if, or if you didn't come in through that door and see how in, so well-themed and decorated and painted and look up and look down and, and the globe on top painted like Dr. Bunsen honeydew and even the front entranceway and the awning 
Muppetized and with the with the nose and the ears. But you come out, Jim, and when you and you see this is the exit to Muppet Vision 3D. You come out to this somewhat empty, nondescript plaza again with some of those New York style facades. Uh, this area is used occasionally for some special event meet and greets for Star Wars weekends. There is a cars currently. There's a cars and a Tomator meet and greet out there. At one point, it was Toy Story and other characters. But this is. Again, this was here for a reason, because there was supposed to be a lot more here. Oh, a- absolutely. And in fact, uh, um, some of the, the listeners who are, who are as old as I am and, and came out here in the, in the 90s remember that this was a, a, a real loading dock area. And this actually was the area where um, years later they performed a um, much downsized version of uh, Muppets on Location, which was really a more of a meet-and-greet Type of thing, so it was a very short show and a meet and greet uh, autograph uh, uh, section that ran for I think about three years out here, but uh, very very watered down and cut down from the original plan of doing it in front of the Chinese theater. But uh, yes, right down uh, right down this way was um, the home of one of my favorite attractions, which was the uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame show uh, and the theater there. But all of that area for that theater and more had been cleared away for another uh, Muppet attraction. It was going to be the um, uh, Muppet Movie Ride. And so uh, it was going to parody, of course, the great uh, uh, movie ride here at uh, Disney's Hollywood Studios. And uh, again, you would be in the ride vehicle, and you would be going through uh, scenes of movies, but of course they had been uh, Muppetized. So the first one you went through would be uh, Frankenstein. So you'd have... uh, um, Kermit and uh, Miss Piggy on the on, on the steps as the the young uh, hero and heroine looking you know uh, in in shock as the mad scientist which is Doctor uh, Bunsen Honeydew is creating a Frankenstein monster a ten foot tall beaker with bolts out of his neck and and all of this and you know it's only a movie because as your vehicle moves along you see the the back uh, uh, facade. Uh, back of the facade, and you see that Gonzo is the director. You see that uh, uh, Fozzie is the special effects guy, and he's he's trying to hook in uh, uh, two electrical cords and is having problems because again they're going off. You see the skeleton in Fozzie, his, his bow tie spinning, uh, all of this. Um, uh, you'd go into a scene from uh, Pigs in Space, so you're going on the uh, uh, USS uh, uh, Swine Trek. And uh, it's being attacked by uh, space pirates, or, or actually, I, I should pronounce it pie rats, because it's, it's Rizzo's relatives who love pie, and they are t- attacking uh, the swine trek, and you're going right through the, the center of it. And uh, then there's, there would have been another uh, scene devoted to Peter Pan, where you have um, uh, Kermit as, as Peter, um, you have Janice from... Uh, um, the Electric Mayhem as, as, as Wendy. You have Scooter with his glasses as, as Studious John. Uh, as Michael, you have Fozzie Bear because as Michael, because in the in the film, Michael has a little has a little uh, uh, teddy bear. Well, here's Fozzie, and he's a little got a little boy uh, doll that he's he's carrying with him as he's flying off to Neverland. And Miss Piggy has been stuffed tightly into this Tinkerbell uh, outfit, and and you can see this very visible heavy rope. 
uh, uh, hanging on to her, but even then, it's not enough to uh, uh, control things because you see at in in one or two places of the set these uh, Miss Piggy style holes that have been made. Now Statler and Waldorf would be involved as well because on a movie set you have those golf cart uh, uh, pargos, and so they would actually be popping up uh, variously throughout the ride to. To, to make their, their typical comments and all of that for, for that to happen. So you would have had another huge attraction here. So you could have exited uh, Muppet Vision 3D and then right on to uh, uh, the uh, Muppet movie ride. And again, all of these were planned out. It wasn't just like, well, this is, a, this is an idea we'll have. And all. These were all in process of, of being done, you know, budgeted out, and, and how do you do the technical things of the electricity and the, and, and, and the water and, you know, uh, exit routes and, and, and the whole bit. So these were all in place, you know, ready to go. And then, of course, uh, uh, Jim Henson sadly passes away uh, May 1990, and uh, it's a whole new game board. And this really is a, is a testament to the brilliance and the stories behind the stories that only you can tell. Because, look, many of us had heard... Yeah, there was going to be a great Muppet movie ride, and there was going to be a, a, a pizza, pizzeria-themed after Gonzo, but never before have we heard the detail in the stories, which really illustrates how far along it was. I think a lot of us didn't understand how close these things were to bring reality. They weren't just you know blue-sky concepts that were talked about. These were things that were on the drawing board and, like you said, were very far along and being sketched out. And, and in fact, the, the Disney company felt that... W- way as well, that things were just going to be um, postponed. They were going to be on hiatus, but that by 1993, all of this and more w- would would be uh, I- existing uh, over here. And so uh, one of the few things, of course, that we have uh, remaining that uh, um, is uh, close to what uh, Jim Henson uh, uh, envisioned is uh, Muppet Vision uh, 3D. So uh, let's talk a little bit more about that. Before we, we go forward to Muppet Vision, because we can easily spend yeah. <laughs> hours talking about it, I think a lot of people, especially now that Disney does own the Muppets, listen, you describe, the way you describe the great movie ride, Muppet movie ride, a, the, the 20-year-old concept you would work today. So everybody's saying, well, that's great. You've got the space. You've got the franchise. You've got the rights. You have everything ready to go. Why not? Why do you think we're not seeing more of these or attractions like these, which would be an instant draw, an instant success coming into the studios? Uh, It's the nature of the Disney company um, uh, today. You know, the uh, expansion of uh, Fantasyland at the Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World. Uh, I'm reserving judgment for that, but I've got to say from from what I'm seeing, um, I'm underwhelmed. You know, I, I, there's nothing there that it's like, I can hardly wait to, to, to see that. I am going to be sleeping overnight for a year to get into the park to, to see that. I, I'm, I'm sure the additions they're going to make are, are fine. I'm, I'm not so in love with uh, Toontown Fair that, that my heart is, is, is bleeding, that there are going to be changes there. But, but the changes that are happening, I, I'm just not excited about. But again, from an economic standpoint, this is, you know... A, an incremental little thing with the Muppets. I think the the problem is not just the the amount of money investment, but the fact that the Disney Company doesn't feel that the Muppets have a high enough profile. So why invest 
the money. It makes more sense at this particular point in the short term to invest in uh, an Iron Man 2 ride or something like that. The difference is, is Walt would have said, the Muppets have lasted this long. Look at the people coming out of the exit as we're seeing now. They're they're happy. They've they've enjoyed it. And and this is this is a huge crowd. It's not like you know there's a, a small crowd going in and seeing this uh, attraction. This is a, a full house or close to a, a full house. And uh, so I'm going to invest that money because that's going to get things back into motion. But I think. Um, Today, the Disney company is much more fiscally conservative when it comes to the uh, Disney parks. And sadly, uh, with the Walt Disney World uh, parks, which have always been the uh, orphans. Disneyland has always been the jewel in the crown. Uh, out here, it's like even with four parks and, and all the water parks and the resorts, it's still like, oh, well, that's, that's out there on the East Coast. I, I believe that we're Disney to leverage this, and that's why mm-hmm. I started off this segment by right. talking about how timeless they are, and, and they, look, they have the power and the resources to reintroduce this in so many ways, and I think they're starting to do that, maybe testing the waters online virally. Um, they could really reinvigorate this franchise, which can, can very much sustain itself. Out of all the concepts we talked about, whether it be just sort of the... the the movie, the Muppet movie land, or was it the restaurant, or the was there one thing that you would love to have seen more than any of the others? Um, actually, all of it. You know, because I think it all just added to each other, and you know, uh, would have created uh, uh, again a land of its own, an atmosphere of of its own. You know, it, it's like. Uh, uh, okay, you're going to it, 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 Adventureland. What is the one that you like? The Jungle Cruise or, or the Pirates or the original Tiki Room? Or Well, they, they all just make up the, the whole thing together. And um, when, when people always ask me, you know, what is your favorite ride? It, it's always uh, tough because sometimes it depends on my mood. Sometimes it depends on, you know, whether I've seen it recently or not. So, uh, but I, I completely agree with you that the Muppets is still a very, very viable franchise. And, um, but it's going to take uh, someone of vision. Uh, uh, unfortunately, we don't have a, a Jim Henson, but I'm, I'm sure there are people out there who can recreate a similar vision uh, uh, that, that will bring that back. Because uh, even without publicity even without a, a steady tv show or whatever people recognize these characters people love these characters that's that's not something you can artificially um uh create you know like they tried to do poochie the pup on the on the simpsons and all that or or for that matter disney tried to do with bonkers uh tried to create their own version of roger rabbit and an audience said nope not interested and look, they're still buying merchandise that's in there, not mm-hmm. just from Muppet Division 3D. And like you said, it was great yeah. to see Bean Bunny and some of the other, but other merchandise because, and I, I was watching adults purchase Kermit the Frog plushes. So mm-hmm. it will very much be self-sustaining. My answer was going to be what your answer was, was not an attraction specific, but the idea of this Muppet land. One thing that the Disney Hollywood Studios doesn't really have a sort of this there is the Echo Lake area and there's the Streets of America, but no real sort of distinctions of land. So imagine what the landscape would be like here in 2010 if there was Muppet Movie Land, if there was the Roger Rabbit Land, if they were to expand, it should only happen 
the Star Tours area to really increase that relationship with George Lucas and the Star Wars franchise, which again continues to reinvest in itself and reinvigorate itself with the Clone Wars. And, and in fact, there have been, uh, uh, I know, plans on the table to I- expand that area between uh, uh, Indiana Jones and, and Star Tours to make that a Lucas land and to expand a Pixar uh, land, you know, from Pixar Place. And uh, I, I think you're absolutely right that it would uh, appeal to people. And, um, you know, we're dealing with a, a, a different audience. When it comes to Star Wars, uh, I have a, a five-year-old nephew, and he loves Star Wars, has never seen any of the films, has never seen any of the animated things. He's only played the Wii game. But he still comes to Disney Hollywood Studios when they have Star Wars weekends, and he knows the characters. And you know, so there's many ways of, of, of bringing in and, and leveraging uh, uh, that franchise. Um, but you know, not every idea is is uh, is the best idea to begin with, because with Muppet Vision 3D, when Jim Henson w- was uh, uh, tasked with with creating that, he came up with what he thought was this was going to be the perfect story. The, the film, the story of Muppet Vision 3D was going to be the Bean Bunny Show. And I tell people that, and, and they look at me as if I've got a second head. Um, but you have to remember that Bean Bunny, um, who uh, uh, first performed by uh, Steve Whitmire, very talented uh, uh, puppeteer who took over uh, Kermit after uh, Jim Henson passed away. Uh, Bean Bunny had been introduced in uh, 1986 in uh, Tale of the Bunny Picnic, and by 1989, he was a, um, a major character on the Jim Henson Hour on TV, and uh, I think it was Jim Henson's intent that, um, well, uh, this is the Disney MGM Studios, what I, what I want to do is I want to do something that's specific to Disney, you know, not just you know, dump, uh, uh, shoehorn the Muppets in. Uh, fortunately, the Imagineers talked with him and, and said, well, hey, you know, uh, I, we've had luck, you know, like on the Star Wars fan, uh, franchise, if we use characters that people are familiar with, you know, and then you can do that. And so then they changed around the, the entire film. Now, yes, Jim directed the entire film uh, that you see in there. But once that film was, was, was made, um, they, they screened it and they saw that there was uh, some weakness, especially in the middle. So there needed to be some scenes to be rewritten and refilmed and all that. Uh, but they had worked so hard on it, they decided to take a vacation. And uh, during that vacation, that's when Jim Henson passed away. And so when they gathered back together, uh, the, uh, the writer for the film, uh, Bill uh, Prady, who uh, had written a lot for uh, uh, Henson Associates, was brought back in to help storyboard a couple of scenes. And then Frank Oz was brought in to direct. And um, something that had not been filmed yet was the Waldo C. graphic. Uh, So Jim Henson was aware that the character was going to be in in the film, but uh, they increased, uh, especially since they had uh, done this so well because they had storyboarded it in 3D so that they could see it from all sides in, in, in the audience there. They had actually come in under budget, so they had a, a couple of extra bucks. Uh, so they uh, increased uh, Waldo's uh, participation uh, in the film. Uh, the animation was done by uh, Pacific Data Images that uh, later got absorbed by DreamWorks. So the same company that did uh, Shrek did Waldo C. Graphic. 
And um, yes, that's his official name, Waldo C. Graphic. And the C, of course, stands for computer, computer graphic. Um, and uh, so that was finally put together. The film, by the way, was filmed out in California. It was fi- uh, filmed, uh, a lot of it was filmed on stage three. So the first scene that was filmed was Miss Piggy Out by the Lake. That was filmed on stage three at the Disney Studios, which is where 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea was filmed. And the other side of stage uh, three was where they did the uh, Muppet Labs uh, 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 hallway. In fact, when you're looking at Muppet Labs and you're, you're seeing Dr. Bunsen Honeydew, that machine there, look to the top and look to the right, and you see on the conveyor belt, you see the exact same glasses that you're wearing. He's creating those right then and there for you. Um, the uh, final scene uh, was uh, filmed on the uh, Disney Studios back lot on the same street where uh, uh, Something Wicked This Way Comes had, had uh, just been filmed. And uh, so even though people think it was filmed at Disney World or whatever, no, it was filmed on the uh, um, uh, back lot there, and uh, all of that was uh, put together. So uh, a very, uh, a very funny film, and uh, actually a, a couple of uh, amusing things happened during the filming. Steve Whitmire, as I said, uh, a very good uh, Muppeteer, uh, in, in the big finale... The, the salute to all nations, but mostly America. Um, and, and you have those little soldier characters, and you'll see some of those in the prop room there without, uh, without pants. Uh, at one point, he got uh, uh, accidentally too close to the cannon that was going off, and it blew off the character's arm. And so Steve Whitmire then has... Um, and, and remember, no person was hurt because the, the, the Muppets and all are, are over people's heads. Uh, does this tremendous death scene for the character. And people are just losing it. it, it, it it's so funny. It, it, it really is the pee in your pants, roll on the floor funny. And Jim Henson finally had to come up to him and, and said, that's very funny. If that ever happens again, don't ever do that. <laughs> uh, also, in that, that uh, final scene where uh, the bricks are exploding... Uh, special effects did it so well that one of the bricks literally went uh, hurtling out and smashed into the mirror that was on the 3D camera. And you have to have that mirror in order to keep, you know, uh, both things uh, uh, focused in. And so it it smashed that. That is actually the take that is used in the final film, although they dissolve uh, right before the bricks uh, come come flying uh, towards your... uh, uh, face there. So, pretty fascinating stuff, huh? And again, we, we kind of just scratched the surface of the details that are in there, the stories that are in there, um, some of the incredible sight gags. And I think that's why, you know, we watched it again this morning. We found ourselves still laughing at the jokes that we knew that were coming or whispering to each other, oh, you know, Jim, look at that. Mm-hmm. Lou, Lou, look at this. Oh, look at the arrow mm-hmm. next to Statler and Waldorf's, you know, box mm-hmm. in the balcony. Make sure you turn around and look at the Swedish chef and what goes on at the beginning and at the end of the film. And I think that's the beauty of this attraction, why it still remains timeless, uh, and I think why people, many people are still clamoring for more Muppets, more Muppets, more Muppets, especially here in the theme parks. Obviously, Disney's Hollywood Studios would still be, I think, the perfect fit. They have the franchise. They have the space. They've got the talent. Maybe they have John Lasseter, who has that vision to maybe do some of the things that many of us are hoping for. 
And and again, there there's a, an awful lot of um, uh, some of uh, Henson's old crew still uh, still around too, who uh, could get involved. And because again, one of the questions that was always asked, what would Walt do? You know, and uh, the the same thing holds true for for Jim Henson. What would Jim Henson? Do? Well, who knows? Jim Henson was always so uh, so far ahead. Of of the uh, uh, curve that anything could happen, but I but I think there are people like a, a Frank Oz and all who who could who could say you know this is this would have been Jim's style of thinking this would have been you know his style of of humor and 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 we could go in this direction, and uh, yes I I think uh, you know one of the things we we see back back here especially is an awful lot of young people an awful lot of young people. And so, uh, you know, for, for those people not buying into the, the uh, uh, Princess franchise or the Fairy franchise or the Pirates franchise, you know, this is, uh, I, I think, uh, uh, both healthier <laughs> and, and uh, could be uh, much, much more uh, uh, lucrative. You know, I, I, I worry about my little nephew going around... Uh, uh, swinging a swinging a sword, but uh, I, I think I, I would uh, love to have him exposed to the Muffets and get that sort of Mad Magazine uh, sense of humor and perspective into his life, and uh, also just the uh, gentleness. You know, even in the monster m- Muppets, you know, there 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 there's a there's a gentleness, there's a sense of family, very much in keeping with uh, uh, the Disney brand. So uh, yeah. And just like Jim Corcus, you know, they're fuzzy and cuddly, and you just want to hug one. You just want to hug a Jim Corcus. If you were, if there was a Jim Corcus Muppet, they wouldn't be able to keep him on the shelves. So, um, Jim, this has really been an, an incredibly fascinating look back at the history of the relationship, uh, the stories behind the stories, into the people, into the relationships, and unfortunately, or the things that we never got to see here at Disney's Hollywood Studios with the Muppets. We can only hope what the future might bring. Uh, It is always a pleasure, and I mean that, to have you on the show, to hear more of Jim's wonderful work and hear the stories only he can tell. Go back to past episodes of the WW Radio Show. Check out his wonderful contributions to Celebrations Magazine, where he's able to share some of the things that only Jim Corcus can tell. And, of course, stay tuned to future episodes where we will have Jim back for more of his stories behind the stories. Jim Corcus, my favorite Muppet. Thank you as always. Well, thank you so much. Gracious as always, Lou. And again, just a delight to spend time with you. Also a delight uh, to share uh, stories. I I know you're fond of saying these are stories only Jim Corcus knows. And uh, I'm both flattered by that, but I'm also frightened by that, that I may be the only one who knows some of these stories. So... Thankfully, now some of your listeners have those stories and and can pass those on. And as you said, we've got lots more stories to share, so I'm looking forward to seeing you again soon, Lou. Thank you so much. And that's why I'm going to keep you hermetically sealed, safe in a box, and not let you out so we can get all these stories out and shared. So thanks again, Jim. Thank you. Sam, are you about ready? Yes, it's a glorious three-hour finale. You got a minute and a half. (gasps) That's all the time we have for this week's show. Thanks so much for tuning in. And if you're a mom or mom-to-be, 
I hope you had a wonderful, wonderful, and very happy Mother's Day this week. Thanks also go to my good friend, Jim Corcus for taking the time and touring the studios with me. For more on Jim Corcus, go back to the archives, find some of Jim's other appearances on the show, and also check out his articles with the stories behind the stories in Celebrations Magazine. You can subscribe to that, order back issues, or find out more over at celebrationspress.com. If you enjoyed our discussion on the Muppets, please come by the site over at wdwradio.com and comment on this week's show notes. Give me your thoughts on the Muppets in Walt Disney World. And if you see the show when it reopens on or about May 14th, let us know what you think. Tell us about the changes. What do you think about the future of the Muppets? Maybe what you would like to see the Muppets be or do inside Walt Disney World. And while you're there, also check out some of the other blog posts, photos, news, trivia, vacation planning, history, and so much more. And remember, come by and comment on any of the posts there as well. Stay tuned this week for a new video that I'll be releasing from the parks. Again, you can check that out right on WDWRadio.com. Or if you subscribe to the show via iTunes, it'll automatically update in your feed. Also, while you're on the site, come by the forums. There you can talk about the show or anything Disney with more than 33,000 members of the WDW Radio family. It's fun, free, easy to join up and have some great conversations going on there. Also, be sure and follow me over on Twitter. It's twitter.com slash Lou And come over and like the WDW Radio page over on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash WDW Radio. And just a quick reminder, if you have sent me a friend request or asked me to like your page over on Facebook, please know I am not ignoring you. I have unfortunately reached my Facebook-imposed limit on the number of friends I can have and pages that I can like. Please come by. Join the WDW Radio page. I am trying to work out a solution to this in the meantime, but I will be posting updates both to my personal profile and the WDW Radio page as well. A couple of things, a couple of announcements about upcoming events. Don't forget that Saturday, May 22nd, is going to be the start of the 24-hour live show from Walt Disney World. And if you're going to be in the parks, you could also come by be part of the fun because we're going to have our meet of the month that day as well. That's going to be Saturday, May 22nd from 2 to 4 p.m. over at Disney's Hollywood Studios. We're going to meet over at the Studio Catering Company. Come by, meet up, have some fun. It's also going to be Star Wars weekend, so there's going to be a lot going on. And if you can't get down to the parks, remember, you can watch for the entire 24 hours by visiting WDWRadioLive.com. I'll be broadcasting from Walt Disney World, starting around 10 a.m. on Saturday. Hopefully going to continue on till 10 a.m. Sunday morning. You can watch there. You can also chat. It's free. I suggest you go over to Ustream.tv, sign up for a free account. This way you're ready to go and come by the chat room when the when the 24-hour show starts on May 22nd. If you are going to be there in Walt Disney World that Saturday, there are just a few tickets left for our special evening where we're having a private viewing of illuminations, reflections of Earth. There are no walk-ups allowed. You do need to purchase your tickets in advance. And again, we have just a couple of tickets left. It's going to be Saturday night, starting around 8.15, going till about 9.30 or so, obviously in Epcot for illuminations. It's $25 per person, and we're asking for a minimum $5 donation to the Make-A-Wish Foundation. For more information, you can check out this week's show notes with a link over to Mouse Fan Travel, where you can purchase your tickets. 
Now, I do have a very important announcement about the 24-hour live show. The original intent when I decided to do this was specifically not just to have fun and to to try and do a 24-hour show, but to raise money for the Make-A-Wish Foundation through our Dream Team project. I have recently come to learn that for legal reasons, we're going to be unable to do any live fundraising during the show. Now, that being said, I will do a special event at another time specifically to do fundraising. I've got some great ideas as to how you can be involved, help make a difference during another live show. But I'm not going to be able to do some of those things during the 24-hour show for a variety of reasons. However, remember, you can always donate at any time directly to Make-A-Wish through the Dream Team Project's secure partner page right on their site. If you visit dreamteamproject.org, there's information as well as a link directly over to Make-A-Wish from there. So while I can't do anything specific during the show, remember you can always make a difference anytime. And if my borderline insanity at deciding to broadcast for 24 hours straight inspires you to donate, even better. Do it before, do it after, and again, stay tuned for some other announcements and some other really cool fundraising things that we'll be able to do live at another time. Other events coming up. Don't forget, if you're going to be up in the Northwest in August, on August 14th is the Pacific Northwest Mouse Meet. It is the second annual event. I will be back there again this year. Really excited about it. There are a lot of great things going on at that, including celebrities, Disney Imagineers, Margaret Kerry, authors, podcasters, a show and sale. Really, really good time. For more information, you can visit pnwmousemeet.com. If you like Jim Corcus on this week's show, you've got to come by and join us for Congaloosh in October. It's a full weekend from October 8th through the 12th. Jim Corcus is going to do multiple live tours in the parks as well as discussions. There's going to be a private dinner and show by the Adventurers Club cast. The original cast as the original characters is going to be coming on stage at the Indiana Jones Epic Stunt Spectacular after the park is closed, we'll be having dinner there right on stage. On Saturday, I'll be giving a tour of the Jungle Cruise. There's also going to be a show and sale, a banquet, Q&A with the Adventurers Club cast, lots, lots more. Sunday, more events going on, more from Jim Corcus. And for more information, come by and visit congaloosh.org. That's C-O-N-G-A-L-O-O-S-H.org. The link for that is in this week's show notes. Come by, join the WDW Radio Explorers Tribe for what is going to be a really, really fun weekend. And of course, we are counting down the days to the WDW Radio Cruise aboard the Disney Dream on February 27th, 2011. We're still working and getting ready to announce some special events, some gatherings, lots more going on. For more information, to get a free, no-obligation quote and to find out more, come by WDWRadioCruise.com. Remember, too, I want you guys to be involved in the show. So if you have any questions that you want answered, you can email me at lou at wdwradio.com. If you want a chance to be called on the phone to play listener fact or fiction to possibly win some prizes, email me your name and your phone number. And I may call you at a random time, ask you 10 true or false trivia questions about Walt Disney World. And if you want to be heard on the air, call the toll-free voicemail line at 888 703 2171. 
And if you're looking for some additional ways to get a little bit of Disney magic in your inbox or on your phone, come by the site at www.radio.com. Sign up for our free email newsletter that includes information, articles, links, trivia, exclusive special merchandise offers, and lots more. And if you have an iPhone, iTouch, or iPad, you can now get the free WDW Radio app from the iTunes Store. It gives you easy, instant access to information from the site, including po- uh, blog posts, the podcast, videos, the forums, lots more. Also, exclusive access to what may be coming soon from WDW Radio. And if you enjoy it, please rate it and post reviews for it. And of course, let others know, help spread the word. One thing I can tell you that is coming soon is the next audio guide to Walt Disney World. I am finishing up work on Liberty Square now. Stay tuned for a potential release date coming soon. Also, come by the site. You can still get Main Street USA, Adventureland, and Fantasyland on CD or downloads. You can also get signed copies of my Walt Disney World trivia books right from the site. And as always, my friends, if you like the show, all I ask is that you please help spread the word let others know about it, rate and review the show on iTunes. If you're on Twitter, tweet about it or post on Facebook that you're listening to and hopefully enjoying the show. And most of all, remember to take your first step towards following your dreams and pursuing your passion and always, always keep moving forward. I hope you have a great, great week this week. Thanks again for listening. See ya. Hello, John from Atlanta. Hey, I just want to say I'm a big fan of the show. Love what you're doing. You keep me going through the tough times at work. And you just bring a little magic to uh, my work day, especially Monday and everything. I get to listen to a brand new podcast. Just listen to the new one about the Magical Express. Amazing information, amazing information and everything about the Magical Express and everything. Um... Also, uh, I've got a new, uh, possibly maybe a top 10. Maybe you guys could do a top 10 things they most like about Tower of Terror. I know that's not Tim Foster's favorite ride, but you never know. He might ride it just to love to see what he'd come up on the top 10 or top 10 favorite attractions in the Hollywood studios and everything. He's used to work over there as a cast member and everything at the Hollywood Tower of Terror and Rock and Roll Roller Coaster. So I just want to give a shout out to all my peeps over there if they're listening um, to uh, the WDW radio show. Um, if not, you guys need to. It's, it's amazing and everything. And I'm just looking forward to getting out there probably either like September or October. I'm having a, going through a Disney frenzia and everything where basically I watch Disney movies because I miss the Disney magic so much. Well, thanks for what you're doing, Lou, and I'll send you, I'll shoot you an email. Uh, today or sometime. Uh, I got a couple questions to ask you and everything. But uh, just keep what you're doing, and you have a magical day, and have a fantastic week. And I can't wait to hear the next podcast. And good luck on May 22nd on your 24 hour broadcast and everything. I'll try to listen as much as I can. I'll be at a festival in Atlanta and everything. So hope to. Um, up to here as much as I can, Lou. But uh, you take care, man. Have a great weekend. And to all you Disney freaks out there, have a magical day. Hey, Lou, this is Mike. And Tommy Smith. Tommy Smith, you just did a segment with my mom about single parents taking their kids to Disney. We just wanted to say that we have the best mom in the world. Thank Thank you you for all the great memories at Disney. Woo!
Hey, Lou. Um, this is Kiara. Um, I wanted to talk about episode 164, which was April 4, 2010. Um, what I thought should have been on the, the list, and it wasn't, in my opinion, was um, Rock and Roller Coaster, Test Track, The Mad Teacups, Pirates of the Caribbean, Splash Mountain, Big Thunder Mountain Railroad, Space Mountain, Mount Everest, Dinosaurs, and The Great Movie Ride. And what I also don't really get is when you were talking about Peter Pan, how popular it is, um, because I remember getting on that ride and it took us, like, it was at night almost, you know, um, I think it was right after the fireworks, and it was still full. It was a 30- to 40-minute wait. Um, and I just don't understand why it's so popular. And um, another thing is is that um, I don't agree of Mission to Space being, you know, on the top ten great um, rides at Disney because it just, I mean, before I went on, they didn't have the other version. And it wasn't the greatest thing I've ever been on. It actually kind of scared me to death, and I thought I was going to die, but <laughs> I'm just joking. But um, I, I don't agree on that. But um, hopefully you can answer my question about Peter Pan, and those are my top ten. Hey, Lou. John from Somerville, South Carolina. I was just catching up show 166. Martin emailed about the Lion King and uh, Walt Disney World where things can be seen. When we were at Epcot last weekend, they had pretty much every Lion King character as a topiary in Epcot, so maybe that's something you could check out. See ya. Hi, Lou. It's Donna calling from Ontario, Canada, uh, WDW Donna on your website. Um, just a comment to the couple that are getting married in Disney World in May. Uh, we did. We were married at that gazebo at the Yacht Club almost exactly 16 uh, years ago to their wedding day, and we also did, uh, we had about 13 people, and we did the um, Polynesian luau dinner that night for our rehearsal dinner. I don't know if that's still going on or if it's still as good as it was 16 years ago, but Ohana's, I think, would be an excellent choice. My husband and I did Ohana last visit, um, and that would be a fantastic, I think, idea. I know when we did the uh, Aloha um, dinner at the Polynesian. Um, everybody loved it. They got my husband up on stage doing the hula because um, they needed to pick on us because we were the ones getting married, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, and then after the wedding at the gazebo, we had a few pictures taken, and then it was dinner at Yachtsman, and then everybody jumped in the pool in the hot tub at the uh, at the Yacht and Beach Club. So um Brings back a lot of memories listening to that uh, email about the couple getting married at the Yacht and Beach Club. And congratulations, and hope you have a wonderful time. Thanks, Lou. Keep up the awesome work. Bye-bye. Lou, this is Terry Gaff, and I'm hoping to make the voicemail at the end of the show because I wanted to inform my wife that we're going with you on the Disney Dream for our 35th wedding anniversary. I am looking forward to it in ways you have no idea. And I'm looking forward to seeing you and Becky and the gang. Um, have a great day. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Hey, Lou. It's uh, Bob from Ottawa, a.k.a. Uh, Canadian Box Guy, a.k.a. Tina from Ottawa's Disney Geek Husband. 
and uh, we're just calling. We got your tweet uh, saying that you'd like to hear from everybody, so we thought it'd be a perfect time to call in and say hi to Lou and everybody to listen. So here's Maddie. Say hi, Matt. Say hi, Lou. Hi, Lou. Bye. Say hi, Lou. Hi, Lou. Hi, Lou. It's Tina from Ottawa. Glad to hear your tweet, and we'll see you in about 300 days. And that's just a reminder that it's only 300 days until the cruise. Uh, it's exactly 300 days away today. So I hope everyone's looking forward to it, and we'll talk to you guys again later. Thanks, Lou. Keep up the great work. That was wonderful. Bravo. I loved that. Oh, it was great. Well, it was pretty good. Well, it wasn't bad. Well, there were parts of it that weren't very good, though. It could have been a lot better. I didn't really like it. It was pretty terrible. It was bad. It was awful. It was terrible. Get him away.